like to welcome everyone to our Sunday service. My name is Nayaswami Gyandev, and this is Nayaswami Diksha. It's our pleasure to be with you here and welcome our various groups who are in attendance, our Learn How to Meditate students, our people who are just finishing up one of their modules in Ananda Yoga Therapist training. Of course, those who are here for the Pranayama Clinic for Kriya Bonds and those who are watching online. Welcome to everyone. I'd like to read from Rays of the One Light, parallel passages in the Bible and Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. This week's topic is dogmatism versus common sense. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 7, Jesus warns, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth, bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus here, as indeed many times during his teachings, counsels people to use their God-given common sense and not to rely on high-flown but undemonstrable claims. Common sense goes beyond abstract reason, for it is rooted in actual experience. Even common sense, however, is deficient when the judgment called for goes beyond sensory experience. Ultimately, what he emphasized always, therefore, was intuitive perception. Thus, he expected more of his disciples than crude common sense and often scolded them for being too literal-minded, as he did elsewhere when they thought his statement, I have meat to eat that you know not of, meant that he had steaks or sandwiches secreted about his person. His reference, of course, was to spiritual, not material substance. Words, even though appearing in the scriptures, are no substitute for direct perception of truth. Therefore, the Bhagavad Gita says in the second chapter, the sage who knows God has as little need for the scriptures as one might have for a pond when the whole land is covered in flood. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to start by reading from Whispers from Eternity by Paramahansa Yogananda. This is prayer demand. Make me anything, a Christian or Hindu, 
anything, anything to realize thee. Let me be Christian, Jew, Hindu, Buddhist, Mohammedan, Sufi. I care not what be my religion, race, creed, or color, if only I can win my way to thee. But let me be none of this, if that identity enmeshes me in an enclosing net of religious or social formalities. Let me travel the royal high road of realization, which leads to thee. If I'm traveling on some bypath of religion, lead me onto the one common highway of realization, which leads straight to thee. Send me the sunshine of thine wisdom, that it lead me to the morning of my growing powers, and send me the moon of thy mercy to guide me rightly if ever I am lost in the dark night of sorrow. So the topic of this morning, as we have heard, is dogmatism versus common sense. Recently, Gandhav and I were in southern India, in the state of Kerala, where we led a yoga retreat in an Ayurvedic resort. And it went really well. In Kerala, there are three main religions that people follow. Christianity, Hinduism, and Islam. In the resort where we stayed, the employees are mostly Christians. I befriended an Indian woman there. She works there. She's from a little village, a simple, kind person. And one day I asked her, are you Christian? She waved her hand, no. Are you Hindu? No. Are you Muslim? No. And then she touched her heart and she said, at the heart of God, we are all the same. And so, when we look at the saints, the saints are able, I'm not there yet, to embrace people from all religions, seeing them equally as children of God. Their consciousness is beyond dogma, beyond sectarianism that we find in organized religion. There is a story about Yogananda from his early years in America. One time, he was riding a train he had his long hair, and he was wearing his orange robe. And a fundamental Christian preacher noticed him. So he came up and he said, Do you believe in Jesus Christ? And Yogananda said, Of course I do. Well, this was not what the preacher expected to hear. And he said, 
Do you accept Jesus Christ as your only Savior? And Yogananda said, I accept God as my Savior. And I believe that God brought salvation through many of his awakened sons, not only through Jesus Christ. Well, this answer made the preacher very angry. His face turned red and he declared, unless you accept Jesus Christ as your only savior, you will go to hell. <laughs> Yoganana remained calm and he said, I may get there by and by, but my friend, you are there already. <laughs> Great answer. <laughs> Recently, I was reading about the life of Saint Teresa of Avila, a great woman saint. She was born in Spain and in the 16th century, at a time of great prosperity and wealth, where many new continents were found and many new scientific discoveries were made. People became fascinated with science and with the power of the mind. The authority of the church was shaken and all the forms of dogmatic rules lost their power. And so at that time, Teresa, at the age of 18, decided to withdraw from the world and enter the convent. She became a nun in the Carmelite order and she lived a secluded life in the convent, exploring the inner world of the soul. At the age of 42, she started to experience mystical visions of God. After her first vision, she went to her confessor and told her about it. And he, who never had an experience of God, didn't believe her. He thought that the devil deceived her senses. And he commanded her to refuse such visitations. Teresa tried to obey him, but the visions of God continued. The next time she went to confession, she had to admit with great fear that God visited her again. This time, the confessor became terrified. He was convinced that the devil possessed her and he refused to see her again. Now, Teresa herself questioned her own vision her own visions, and she examined them very carefully, each one of them. And her proof that they came from God was that they left her with a sense of lasting peace and increasing love for God. And so as her visions continued, the word spread out beyond the convent about this unconventional nun 
who has mystical experiences of God. And it invoked the suspicion of the Inquisition. And so the church officials assigned her a new spiritual guide so he can examine whether the visions are real or not. And so this new spiritual guide was a young man, only 24 years old. But he was the pride of the church because he was well-versed in theology. And so the young confessor was very strict with Teresa. He deprived her from her daily prayers and from reading spiritual books. And that was very painful for Teresa. After he commanded her that she cannot read spiritual books, she had a vision of God where God said to her, Teresa, don't grieve. I will give you the living book. And so this young confessor was overwhelmed with the spiritual reports of Teresa, but he believed in her divinity until she told him about the vision that she had of Christ without form. Then he lost his trust in her. But because he wanted to help her, he searched in all the books, in all the sacred writings, reading every account that he can find about visions. And finally, he came across the writings of St. Thomas of Aquinas, where he found an account of visions that are beyond the senses and without form. And in fact, these visions are higher forms of visions, which, is, which are beyond the senses and without form. And so Teresa was saved. The church and the Inquisition both recognized her visions as true divine visions. Teresa was able to reform and renew the church. She emphasized solitude and silent contemplative prayer. And most of all, she emphasized the need to have a personal, direct experience of God. And so now, five centuries later, we live in a new age, an age of energy. But human nature has not changed. Most people are still seeking happiness through the senses. And into this age came Paramahansa Yogananda. He was born in India, but he was sent to the West by Christ, by Babaji. He brought the path of Kriya Yoga to help us, to help people find true happiness in God. So 
the saints are the real custodians of religion. They are the living scriptures. And they are the example for us of how we can realize God. Yogananda's first disciple in, in the West, in America, was Dr. Lewis. And Dr. Lewis described his, his first meeting with Yogananda. It was in 1920 in Boston on Christmas Eve. And Dr. Lewis was a bit skeptical about meeting this man of India. And when they met, Dr. Lewis asked many questions. And one of the questions was, it says in the Bible, when thine eye be single, thy whole body will be full of light. Do you know anything about this? And Yogananda said, I think so. <laughs> and the Lord, Dr. Lewis said, I've asked so many people, no one seemed to know about it. And then he said, have you seen such things? And Yogananda said, I think so. Do you think I could see such things? And Yogananda said, I think so. So Dr. Lewis said, well, show it to me. And so after they talked a little bit more, Yogananda rolled on the floor his tiger skin mat. He sat on one end of it and asked Dr. Lewis to sit facing him. And then he asked him, Doctor, will you always love me as I love you? And the doctor was a bit surprised by this strange question. But he said, yes, I will. And then Yogananda rubbed his hand and he said, now I can take charge of your life. And so Yogananda placed his forehead against Dr. Lewis' forehead. He asked him to lift his gaze to the spiritual eye. And there, for the first time, Dr. Lewis saw the spiritual eye. Later, Dr. Lewis said about this experience, he said, Yogananda calmed the waves of my mind. So my own intuition showed me the door through which I was able to see the spiritual eye in a natural way. Dr. Lewis realized that Yogananda was not an ordinary man, that he was a man of God. Swami Kriyananda observed while living with Yogananda that Yogananda's only interest was that the disciples identify themselves with God. In one of his public talks, Yogananda said, I want to give you God I want to saturate you and bathe you in the ocean of infinity. So you will change forever 
and experience the ocean of light that I behold. For us to experience the ocean of light, we have to expand our consciousness by identifying ourselves more and more with God, we rise above habits, above karma, and our consciousness can expand. Swami Kriyananda gave a good example. He said, visualize a large lake covered with a sheet of ice. If many men stand on that lake and press on it, the ice will not break. But if one man drills on one spot on the ice, he can penetrate through it and reach the water. And for us, it's a daily meditation. Is the prayer and the deep devotion to God that gradually will break through that ice of material consciousness and help us to reach that ocean of light. Last year in the fall, I was looking for a solution. I was having a problem. So I analyzed it, I thought about it, and I finally I prayed. I said, Master, help me to find a solution to this problem. And the next morning, I woke up and I heard in my head playing the first verse of the Psalms of David, playing to the beautiful melody that Swami wrote for it. And the words of the first verse are, I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills. From whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, who made the heaven, the heavens and the earth. And he kept playing over and over again for a period of a month. And it was a great reminder. And the message was clear. You cannot find true solutions by thinking, by analyzing, but by going into the heart of silence, by going into the inner light. And Yogananda emphasized that we need to go beyond common sense because it's limited to go into intuitive perception, which is a part of infinity. In the autobiography of a yogi, we can read how Sri Yukteswar trained Yogananda and his other disciples. His method was to read a passage from the scriptures and then to meditate deeply on its meaning. I'd like to read to you. 
what Sri Yukteswar said about his method of teaching. Wisdom is not assimilated with the eyes, but with the atoms. One needs to have a conviction of truth, not merely in his brain, but in his whole being. Only by going within, we really can understand the true essence of things, of anything. Yogananda gave a great example for this. He said, the scientist investigates the atom objectively, but the yogi becomes the atom. It's a beautiful way to describe it. And so for us, as devotees, the challenge that we face in daily life is how we can follow the teachings without becoming dogmatic and rigid. How we can live the teachings and bring personal, creative energy to what we do and share expansive, uplifting energy with others. I feel and I believe that this is the way of Ananda. And so we can continue to do that by constantly examining our thoughts, our speech, our actions, and in meditation to attune to Yogananda's wisdom and guidance. Last night, in the ceremony of Yogananda's Mahasamadhi, Ananta explained it in a beautiful way. He said, all Krishna's soldiers are like Krishna. When we attune ourselves to Yogananda's consciousness, we become Yogananda. I wanted just to end with a short quote by Swami Kriyananda. We are co-creators with God. God cannot do it for us, but God can do it with us.